Do you want to be able to trust your dog off leash? Do you want to improve your relationship with your dog? A dog with a trustworthy recall gets way more opportunities to adventure and be a dog. Let's be honest, having a dog that doesn't come when called really kind of sucks. So, do you want to make your life easier? Do you want to learn how to train a trustworthy recall? Do you have 10 minutes a day to devote to training for just 30 days? Check out my online course, Trustworthy Recalls. I give you step-by-step instructions for teaching a trustworthy recall with just 10 minutes a day for 30 days. You can learn more about trustworthy recalls at agfdogtraining.com. Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. Um, If you haven't already listened, episode number 22 is all about how to get your dog prepped and ready for the 4th of July. So it's coming up. If you haven't listened, go ahead and give it a listen. Also, huge thanks to the wonderful people who have left reviews on this podcast. I see you. I read those reviews and I love them. So thank you very, very much. Um, I'm super excited for today's episode. Also, um, I hope you guys are enjoying my two episodes a week kick. I don't know how long I can keep it up, but you know what? I'm feeling super inspired. So here we are, two episodes of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast in one week. Woo! So um, separation anxiety. My special guest is Josh Botel. He is a certified separation anxiety trainer. He's been working professionally with dogs for 10 years, and he is also the owner of City Pups SF in San Francisco, and he shares all kinds of wisdom in this episode about how you can train a dog to be comfortable being left alone. We talk about, um, you know, behaviors that may be related to separation anxiety, some behaviors that may not be related to separation anxiety. So um, if you have a dog with separation anxiety, I highly suggest that you contact Josh. He works with people remotely. So wherever you are, he can help you. And I am going to link the um, his website in the show notes so that you can easily find it. So enjoy this episode. So welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Disorderly Dogs. I am so excited because we're going to talk all about separation anxiety today. Um, I get a lot of requests for training separation anxiety, so I hope that this can be super informative. So um, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Josh. And Josh, can you define separation anxiety for us? Of course. Well, thank you so much for having me on today, first of all. Um, So uh, separation anxiety in dogs is really akin to something like a panic attack that a person might experience. So when when mom and dad uh, get ready to leave, uh, dog dogs essentially go into more or less of a panic attack. So just like 
uh, you know, people that experience panic attacks. It's not always rational, um, and it's definitely nothing um, that that the dog can control. So they're not trying to get back at you or uh, doing it out of spite or anything like that. So essentially, when when you leave, um, dog, your dog is essentially thinking that mom is never coming back, and that is absolutely terrifying. Um, so you might you might be seeing. Um, you know, so when you're starting to get ready to, to leave, so when you're grabbing your shoes and your keys or your work bag, et cetera, et cetera, uh, your dog's starting to follow a lot and kind of starting to escalate into panic mode, essentially. Um, typically, um, you know, they, they escalate into that panic mode and, and essentially stay there for the duration of that absence. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that's a super good point. Like you saying that it's involuntary. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, because I think it's frustrating for a lot of normal dog owners to come home to a destroyed house or a panicked dog. And like you said, right, like the dog has no malicious intent towards you. They just are desperate for you to come back. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it, it's definitely nothing that they can control. So it, it is very much panic mode for, for that duration. Yeah. Okay. And then, so separation anxiety, is it particularly from people or can it be like from other, like from other dogs? Yeah. So, um, there, there is definitely variation there. So, so the clinical term separation anxiety refers to, um, the being separated from a particular individual. Um, more often we're dealing with something called isolation distress or separation related anxiety. Um, and that, that is, you know, just the fear of being left alone at all. Um, so a lot of times I'll get inquiries for a dog that was previously fine. Um, they will change, uh, you know, locations. So, so moving to a new house or some kind of change in the family dynamic. So parents splitting up or a companion animal dying, um, premature, okay, yeah. um, that, that can set, certainly set, set it off essentially. Good. Okay. And then I think, you know, just to clarify, is it possible for puppies to have separation anxiety or is it generally something you see in older dogs? Um, it, it definitely runs the gamut. So I've, I've okay. seen, you know, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks having alone time issues. Um, the sooner that you can kind of get on it. So you, you're crate training, uh, everything's going good until you go to leave the house and then your, your puppy totally loses it. Uh, the sooner that you get on that training, the, the better chance you have of kind of overcoming it. Definitely. Yeah. And prevention, ladies and gentlemen of the internet, prevention is going to make life a lot easier for everyone than letting a problem escalate and then <laughs> expecting okay. your, your dog professional to throw magic, magic fairy dust at it. <laughs> yeah, definitely not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, can you walk us through some behaviors that you observe in dogs who are experiencing separation anxiety? Yeah, so you might uh, you might be noticing um, vocalization as you're leaving, getting ready to leave while you're gone. So sustained howling, barking, whining, crying. Um, beyond that, you may be noticing drooling. So you might be coming home to big puddles of drool or uh, defecation. So so just loss of total bowel bowel control. Okay. Um, 
You might be noticing destruction of, of certain items in your house, so chewing on uh, table legs, couches, um, as, as well as exit points too. So sometimes we see uh, some more um, serious cases where dogs are trying to jump out of windows, they're tearing through walls, chewing up the baseboards and, and the bottom of doors. Um, that is all kind of telltale signs of, 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 of me thinking of, yeah, we're, we're probably dealing with some kind of alone time issue at this point. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, um, and for the dog, they're perceiving that the world is coming to an end. Essentially. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. think of how scared you have to be to try to bust through a door or, you know, you're, you're so scared that you're peeing your pants. Yeah. 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 No, that's such an, an intense, real fear, you know? And I think when we can all recognize that, like, there's absolutely, they're not mad at you. They're literally ex experiencing a level of panic that we have to get to the bottom of. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, can you give me some examples of some behaviors that maybe people think are separation anxiety, but maybe aren't? Yeah. Um, so, um, if you're not sure, I would recommend, uh, setting up a video camera and, and getting proof that way. Definitely. Um, yeah, good. So okay. Yeah, so um, you might be uh, noticing uh, destruction of certain items in your house, so furniture, uh, uh, you know, non-dog toys, that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes you might see uh, some potty training issues that kind of mask themselves as, you know, you might be thinking separation anxiety. Um, so typically if a, if a client says like, you know, um, I'm noticing my dog chewing up the, uh, the uh, couch pillows and um, having accidents in the house, but then when I get home, she's, you know, laying on the couch sleeping. Um, my, my general advice is let's get some video proof first before kind of moving moving forward. Good. Okay. Yeah. So that should be people's first line of action. If they're worried about maybe if their dog has separation anxiety, they should be recording the dog when they're not home to get more information. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, okay. So say they've recorded and the dog is drooling or stressing. What should be their first line of action knowing that their dog has separation anxiety? Um, first line of action with any behavior issue really that kind of pops up out of nowhere would be take a, take your dog to the vet. Uh, so we want to make sure there's no underlying medical issues that might be, uh, contributing to it. So, so sometimes we see older dogs develop separation anxiety that might be due to, um, pain, um, discomfort of some sort. So we definitely want to rule that out first. Uh, and then beyond that, so after you've gotten the clean bill of health from your vets. Um, my suggestion is to limit the the amount of uh, absences you're giving to your dog. So um, whenever I work with a separation anxiety client, number one rule is that we are suspending absences um, more than the dog can handle, essentially. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think that for a lot of people, that probably seems overwhelming at first. Of so course. can you give us maybe like some creative solutions that you've used to help implement that initial rule of not leaving the dog alone? 
Totally, totally. Yeah. So, so, and, and by leaving the dog alone, I mean, there just has to be some kind of warm body with him essentially. So that means we're implementing doggy daycare, pet sitters, that kind of stuff. And then on the more creative end, uh, we might be thinking of, you know, posting to our, uh, next door if you have that in your area. So, yeah. Uh, you know, social media saying, Hey, um, I'm working on my dog separation anxiety. Would anyone like to hang out with my dog for, for several hours a day? Um, you know, we, we might find retired people, students that just need a quiet place to work on their homework, um, or people that work from home too, that just want a, uh, cute dog stand with them essentially. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Like the next door app, right? Like, oh. Hey, does anyone want to come use my Wi-Fi and hang out with my dog for a little right. while? Right. <laughs> nice. Okay. And then, um, that usually is the ticket, like at least a warm body. Have you ever seen yeah. it where it's like one specific person that a dog can't be away from without panic? Um, I'd say that's a little bit more on the rare side. So, so so more often, um, you know, as long as they find some, someone that their dog can bond to, um, they're, they're pretty set, I'd say. Um, if it is a dog that is, you know, completely bonded to a particular person, we might spend some time, uh, before kind of getting started with the overall separation protocol in getting, uh, a, a relationship developed with the caretaker essentially. So spending okay. several weeks kind of upping the value of that other person. So that's when, when we do get started, uh, with the, the absence coverage stuff that we have a better chance of that dog being, you know, cool with that, that other person. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So first line of action is making sure that the dog is not experiencing that same panic so that they have someone with them. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So so it's kind of like, you know, if we're, if we're working on a phobia that a person might have, so let's say I'm, I'm afraid of spiders or afraid of heights or something. Um, if we are, you know, we're working really hard, um, in desensitizing to that spider. So starting from a distance that we can handle and then kind of ever so slowly bringing that closer, um, let's say a couple weeks in, we've cut that distance in half, but then someone comes up behind us and dumps a bucket of spiders on us, we're probably going to sensitize back to that original um, distance. So it's very much the same thing with dogs. We have to make sure that we're keeping them under that, that fear threshold to make sure that we can actually make progress. Good. Okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is something that my listeners are definitely aware of is that it takes small baby steps over time. There's no giant leaps. It's just not the way that it works, especially when we're dealing with dogs that are experiencing that level of panic. Totally. Totally. Yes. Just like you or I getting over any kind of fear or phobia, it's going to take time and there's no telling um, how long it will take too. So if if the both of us are afraid of spiders, you know, I might get over it faster than you or vice versa, uh, you know, regardless of how, how the uh, fear is displaying um, outwardly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So after we've addressed that, we've set a schedule, we have someone to stay with the dog. When do you introduce leaving the dog alone? Yeah. So, um, essentially after we get the, uh, absence coverage handled, you 
pretty much start right away. So um, how I work with with my separation anxiety clients is is completely remotely. So um, we'd be meeting on you know Zoom or Skype, just just like we are now, um, and going through a typical absence. So at the the first step is really determining the dog's threshold. So okay. um, I, I'd have my clients go through what a whatever a typical absence looks like. So you know putting your shoes on, grabbing your keys, putting on your jacket and walking out of the front door and getting in your car, um, I'd have them do that. Uh, during that time, I'd have a timer going and, and I'd be taking notes as to what I'm seeing. So, um, you know, at five seconds, we see the dog get out of their bed. At 10 seconds, we, we see them starting to pace. At, at 20 seconds, they might start whimpering. Uh, by 30 seconds, they're into full-on howl, drooling, panting, all of that stuff. Okay. That information would give us our, our starting point, essentially. So we're, we're, we're finding that initial threshold that the dog can can handle. And then from there, we, we'd be doing daily exercises to desensitize the dog to longer and longer absences. Okay. So having a timer and setting that specific time that the dog can handle is the first step. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And then you build from there. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. so in addition to, you know, working on that, uh, that, that actual duration piece, we also want to work on the pre-departure cues. So those shoes, keys, jackets, the, those telltale signs that you're getting ready to leave. So we want to desensitize to, to those as well as the actual, um, duration. Okay. Okay. So leaving cues. So what would that setup look like? Like, if you know, like picking up the shoes, the dog is cueing that they're leaving. Like, how are you desensitizing? Like, what's your protocol for that? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I share a spreadsheet with all of my clients, uh, on okay. Google sheets and, and essentially they go through daily exercises. I like to call them missions and they typically take about 30 minutes out of their day. Okay. Um, and, and they're, they're really step by step. So step one might be, uh, walk to the front door, jiggle the handle and then return. Step two might be put on your shoes, open and close the door, return. Step three might be, uh, grab your keys, um, um, exit for five seconds and return, de depending on the actual dog, uh, the, the the actual case. Right, uh, okay. But we're we're kind of building up to the actual duration piece of it. So so we're using the first you know 10, 15 steps as warm up steps where we're des desensitizing to uh, those pre departure cues, and then we are going through with the final step, which is the duration piece. So so we really want to separate the pre departure cues out from the duration at first until we can, you know, kind of turn those pre-departure cues into non-starters, essentially. So um, yes, okay. mom's just going and grabbing her keys and doing that weird thing where she gets up 15 times in half an hour. Um, so I don't really need to worry about it. Okay. So we're shifting from the, the precursor to panic to it's just no big deal. Exactly. exactly. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And then are you using food in that context? I'm not. So, so a lot of times, uh, food gives us kind of a false positive. Um, okay. so we'll see, uh, a dog gets a Kong in their crate and then they spend 20 minutes 
you know, working on the Kong. And then at the instant that Kong's done, they kind of escalate into that panic. Um, that, that gives us a little bit of a false positive. So it's 20 minutes plus however much time in between that that finishing and the panic. Um, so so I, I typically recommend let's just go without food until we've built up a little duration at first. So we're, we're keeping the threshold so low that we're not even having to introduce any food at that point. Nice. Okay. I love that. And I think that's a good point too, that like, I think that sometimes the food is acting as a distraction, but that is not changing behavior. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Okay. And, and a lot of times food can become a pre-departure cue too. So uh, mom's getting the Kong out and then she's going to leave me. Um, so sometimes we'll see dogs start to escalate even when, when that stuff's coming out. Oh my God. Right. So the yeah. Kong coming out of the freezer is the beginning of the panic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, okay. So then you, you figure out how long they can handle being alone mm -hmm. and you build on that. How incremental, I mean, I, I know it depends per dog, but like, are you going from like a minute to like a minute 30? Are you bouncing back? Like, what does that look like? Like time wise? Yeah. So, so it, it, it does vary, uh, from dog to dog. Definitely. Um, I'd say the first week or so I'm being really conservative. Um, so, you know, let's say we start at 30 seconds during the assessments, we might try to push up to 32 seconds and see how that goes the next day. If that continues to go well, the dogs, you know, just laying in their bed with their head down, um, then, then we can start to push up a little bit more from there. So, so I'm, I'm usually working in matter of seconds if, if we're kind of okay. low time like that. So if we're under, you know, five minutes or so, then we're probably starting with increments of seconds. Um, after we build up to, you know, um, after we have a little bit of time under our belt and I'm kind of understanding like, okay, this dog can handle whatever increments right now, um, we might start to extend, extend that. So we might start, uh, you know, pushing, pushing up by 30 seconds when we hit three or four minutes. Uh, when we get to half an hour, we might start extending by one or two minutes, et cetera, et cetera. So the longer we can kind of get the dog to handle it, the more we can start to, you know, um, be a little bit more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, you know, faster essentially. Okay. Yeah. Right. You can kind of expedite the process. Ex exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, guys, this is super important to remember that this is a very thoughtful planned out protocol. And yeah. this is probably not something that someone can do on their own. Right. right. Like I think right. it's important to seek the help of a professional. If your dog has separation anxiety, you need the help of a professional. It's yeah. not something that's just going to get better overnight. It's not something that's going to get better without being addressed. And exactly. we're, we're, you know, we're so quick to want results. So I think that if we don't have explicit instructions that you cannot be long for gone for longer than 32 seconds, it's just in our nature to push it. <laughs> right. right. And then that can cause setbacks. Can it not? Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's really important to kind of stay the, stay the course, stay patient as hard as it is. Um, I know, you know, how frustrating it can be to, you know, start with, oh my God, we're only pushing up by two seconds to begin with. I'm going to be dead before this dog is over this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, but, but there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel, um, after we build up some duration. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, um, 
what like time frame? Obviously, it's different for different circumstances and different dogs, but like ballpark, like what are you looking at as far as like leaving the dog for like an hour or two? Yeah, so um, very independent from dog to dog. So yeah. so um, I, I'm a part of a network of, you know, 75 other separation anxiety trainers. Um, and we've found that the overall, um, the, the outward display of the anxiety has no correlation as to how fast the dog will progress. So we've seen some okay. dogs where they are, you know, trying to jump out of windows or getting themselves bloody from, from trying to escape. Um, that dog might stand a chance of, of, of progressing faster than the dog that is, you know, lightly whimpering after two minutes. Um, wow, so, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, so so just like you and me, you know, if if I get scared by something, I might turn white in the face and and uh, get all quiet and still, while another person they might start screaming at the top of their lungs and running around. Um, there's no telling who is feeling more fear in that instance. It might look like the the screamer is, but you know, who's to tell unless you're actually in that body. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and as far as, you know, overall time it's going to take. So I've seen some, some dogs within, you know, the first month were up to an hour and a half. Um, other dogs were up to 30 minutes after two months. Okay. Uh, so very, very wide variation. Um, yeah. I, so, so there's genetics that are involved. How long has this, this problem been going on? Um, any other sort of, you know, overall global fearfulness or anything like that might yeah. all contribute. Okay. Okay. And then once, you know, dogs are at a point where they're comfortable being alone for like, let's say like a couple of hours, mm -hmm. do you have to continue to do the training or do you find, do you get to a point where like you can just casually leave them like you would just a normal dog? Yeah. Obviously it depends, but yeah, that, great question. Um, so, so my general, um, way of going about things is I like to get to the target duration, uh, while doing the, the same amount of warm up steps, uh, through day after day. So going through those 10, 12, 15, uh, warm up steps before going through with the, the actual duration piece of it. Um, after we've built up to that, that, uh, target duration from there, we're starting to wean them off of of the warm-up steps. So we might okay. start with 12 steps after we've hit that, uh, you know, four hours or whatever it might be. Uh, we might try going down to eight steps. If that seems like it's still going well, we'll go down to six, et cetera, et cetera, until we can kind of get to a cold trial. Nice. Oh my yeah. God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you guys, it's, it's a very methodical process, right? Like it's, there's no willy nilly about this. Right? Oh, totally. Right. Uh, okay. So, um, can you think of like a really great success story you'd be comfortable sharing? Oh, of course. Yeah. So, um, I, I'd say one of the more rare ones, I, I worked with a dog um, a couple months ago where uh, the companion dog died. Uh, dog was super stressed out, um, you know, howling, the, the whole nine yards as far as anxiety. Um, within the first month, we were up to, I think, three hours, which is pretty good. Um, and yeah. even today, last time I checked in with them, they were they were still able to kind of do cold trials and dogs totally chill for that. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, even 
uh, even with some of my my current clients, where you know we're building up time, uh, we we have client. I have clients where you know we're up to two hours. They're finally able to go out to dinner again or go get Woo-hoo! a after they're they're up to forty five minutes. So it's really important in in all of this to be giving yourself some positive reinforcement to making sure you're you're rewarding yourself for all the hard work you're putting in, um, so that you can kind of keep keep rolling with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's an important point to bring up, right? Because like the dog is, was experiencing panic being alone, Mm -hmm. but the human side of that, that's also very, very stressful to know that your dog is experiencing that amount of panic and then realizing that you can't leave the dog alone for a while. That's a lot. That's an emotional roller coaster. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's, you know, it's isolating. It's, um, you know, financially, financially hard. So trying to come up with sending your dog to daycare, five days a week while you're at the office, it can also be, you know, it can create problems with friends or or family. So they're thinking, it's just a dog, why don't you just leave them? Um, but because people who don't understand that's, that's just advice, right? Like the dog will be fine. Like, actually, they won't. Totally. Yeah. They'll just get over it. Just let them, let them, let them be. Yeah. Unfortunately, no, not right. the way that it works. <laughs> okay. So, um, what would be your advice on, um, things to avoid when it comes to working through separation anxiety? Yeah. So, so first of all, um, I, I like to make sure there's no, it, there's not any sort of confinement anxiety first. Um, so if they have been, uh, crating the dog, um, when they leave, I I'd suggest doing a trial to where they're leaving the dog free in the house or maybe using an X pen, something like that. So just to make sure there's not any sort of confine confinement anxiety, um, first, um, okay. and we still might see separation separation issues after leaving them free in the house, but in my experience, the dogs most dogs do much better with less confinement. Um, so that's that's first. Um, and then other things to avoid. So you know, a- avoid leaving your dog as much as you can. Um, shock collars, uh, you know, anything to suppress the behavior is just going to make that that much worse. Um, so, so it's, you know, it, you, I guess you could say it's putting a bandaid on it, but I'd say you're, you're probably creating a deeper wound. Um, if, if you're punishing a dog for having a, an emotional reaction such as that. Yeah. And, you know, and I talked about this in a previous episode about, you know, the difference between behavior modification and behavior suppression. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the shock collar is going to suppress behavior. It's not going to change behavior. Exactly. And it's very likely that it's only going to make it worse. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, so, um, and, and, uh, just making sure that you're not punishing your dog when you come home and find the couch chewed up or, or the door destroyed. Uh, remember that, that your dog can't control what they're, they're doing at that point. So, so think of how scared when, when you get into kind of that panic mode, you know, you're not in your rational brain at that point. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy to be frustrated to come home after a long day and see something destroyed, but, um, dogs don't put the pieces together first and foremost, right? Like if you yell at them, the second you get home, they don't understand what they're getting yelled at for. They just think that you're kind of a jerk, right? <laughs> like, exactly. why are they being so mean to me right now? I've been waiting all day for them to come home. <laughs> okay. Um, so do you ever suggest the addition of 
like medication or like holistic calming aids? Like, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. So, so a lot of times pharmacology is required. Um, so if, if clients are open to it and their vet advises it, I I'm all for, you know, adding medication to start with. So a lot of times we're using, uh, you know, daily medication to where it's going to take, you know, four to six weeks for, or three, three to five or four to six, uh, weeks for the medication to kind of absorb into their system. Um, so, so we can start making progress from there. Um, sometimes, you know, medication can be kind of a, a touchy subject for a lot of people. Um, yeah. and I totally get that. Um, so, you know, it doesn't hurt to try the, the more natural supplementation. So the, um, th- thunder shirt or, you know, that kind of stuff, um, okay. doesn't hurt to try. Um, I, I can't say I've seen a, a ton of success using any of that. Um, Because we're past just like uh, an addition, you know, like a thunder shirt is not a cure all, right? That's just like an, an, an afterthought, right? Like, and I think that separation anxiety is one of those things that like, it's so intense and it's so real that we're way past like leave on some music, right? Put on, you know, try leaving some essential oils out. Like we're way beyond that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and some clients, you know, after, uh, if, if they're not totally keen on using medication, I'll say, okay, let's, let's get started. We'll try it out for a few weeks. If we're, if we're not finding any, um, progress after a couple weeks of training, so we're, we're still, you know, more or less at square one or maybe square two, um, then, then my suggestion is, Hey, let's, let's revisit that conversation with, with the vet and see what they think about, uh, the addition of meds. Nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And medication is definitely something I've talked about on the podcast a lot, you know, oh. and I think that there is a stigma and, and I think that there shouldn't be, you know, like if that can help your dog be alone and make your life easier. Seems right. 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 Yeah. Seems like yeah. a pretty easy addition. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not like a, you know, a situation where you put the dog on meds and then they're, they're doped up at all, or, you know, having to take medication for the rest of their life. Um, so a lot of times after, after we've hit that target duration and we've cut down the warm up steps, so we're just doing cold trials at that point, as long as that's all going well, we can start to think about weaning off of that medication at the, um, veterinarian's, uh, uh, will essentially. Okay. Um, so I I always defer to, to vets as far as, you know, when do we start weaning off meds by how much, um, all that good stuff. Right. So you guys are, you know, you're, you're working as a team in the dog's best interest. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what does working with you look like? Like you do like a Skype session. How often are you checking in with people? Like what can people expect when working with someone, a trainer remotely for separation anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. So, so first of all, I, I do offer a complimentary 30 minute phone call just to discuss everything that uh, clients are dealing with, with their dogs, what they've been witnessing overall, kind of getting a behavioral history. Um, and then for from there, um, we're, we're performing that initial assessment to kind of get our baseline. Um, okay. and after that, I I'm giving them daily, um, missions, the, those 30 minutes or so exercises that I talked about every, every day, about five days a week. I find that most dogs do really well with 
one or two days a week off to where we're we're letting their you know stress hormones fully reabsorb so we kind of have a good chance at, at kind of starting for the next week um, okay. so essentially I'm writing the mission the day before um, and having clients do those on their own solo the following day as they're doing these missions they're taking notes as to what they're seeing so um, okay. on that spreadsheet one box says the the actual step which is you know maybe um, walk to the front door jiggle the handle and return they're writing down in the notes section as to what they're seeing so if their dog jumps up really fast and sprints to the front door when that happens they're writing that down or if they okay. stay in their bed with their head down they're writing that down so any sort of observable behavior that they can see they're essentially writing that down um, and that information will give me enough to write the next day's mission so if we see that Fido did uh, good with all of the pre-departure cues, and then for the final step, they they stayed laying in their bed for the the entire time. I'd say great, we can push up the next day. Um, alternatively, if they don't do so well, so it's like uh, they were almost over the edge that one. The next day, we might make it a little easier. So we're we're okay. really gauging on a daily basis as to how the dog's doing. Um, so they're doing those solo missions, you know, four or five times a week. And then we're restarting each week with another assessment. Um, so just okay. like first meeting where we we establish a threshold, we're, we're meeting live again uh, at the start of the next week to, you know, determine how how's everything going. We'll go through a mission together and, and see where, where the dog's at at that point. So we might find out that, you know, we started week one at 30 seconds. Uh, we built up to 45 seconds in that week, for example. We might find out at the start of week two that we're up to, uh, you know, a minute 15 or three minutes, uh, something okay. like that. So, so we kind of restart every week to, you know, give us a starting point essentially. Good. Okay. So there's one, you know, virtual consult per week and then the owner is responsible for working through the missions five days a week. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not really super labor intensive on the human's part. Not Aside from the fact that they can't leave the dog alone. Yeah. So, so yeah. they're, they're able to do it whenever convenient for them, really. So I'm okay. writing the night before you can do it after you get home from work before work. Um, and we're also keeping track of data points uh, as well. So we have another sheet in that spreadsheet is solely for data collection. So we're paying attention to uh, time of day. Um, who's doing the exercise. So if it's more than a one person household, um, did the dog get regular exercise, uh, anything out of the ordinary happened? So we can kind of determine are there different um, patterns that we're seeing so we can kind of plan accordingly. So we might find that when mom and dad leave together, dog doesn't do so well as when just dad leaves by himself. So some, sometimes we have to take kind of a two pronged approach that way. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, that's respect. Like that, that is a lot to keep straight, you know, but that's what it takes. Totally. That's what it takes. Yeah. And then the dog can be happy when they're alone and relaxed. I mean, it's worth all the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At, at the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I went through all that instead of putting a shot collar on them and let them kind of panic day after day. Right. <laughs> And do you find that that improves relationships between people and their dogs because they're forced to like observe and recognize so much? 
I think so. Um, after after training, I'd say clients are pros at reading body language. Definitely. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So so definitely gets them more in tune, more empathetic with what dogs are going through, um, so they can kind of see see the world from dogs' perspective as well. Nice. Yeah. And you know, it, it's not an easy thing, but I'm a big believer that dogs teach us exactly what we need to learn. And while it's not easy and I commiserate with you dog owners out there who have dogs with separation anxiety, I think ultimately we, we come out better people. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Patient. You're definitely more patient after months of, of working on this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So Josh, any takeaways, anything you want to leave our listeners with when it comes to separation anxiety and dogs? Yeah. So, um, you know, just keep keep working at it. There's always hope. I, I know separation issues can be super isolating, infuriating, emotional. Um, you know, it's 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 definitely hard, but there is help, and and we have you know plenty of cases where we've we've gotten dogs through this, um, and and you can certainly do the same for your dog. So so it's not a lost cause at all. Awesome. Okay. So Josh, if people want to work with you, how can they find you? Yeah. So, uh, visit my website. Uh, so that is www.citypupssf.com, um, slash separation dash anxiety. If you want to find that page, but there is, uh, okay. Yeah, no. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes guys. So you can find it there too. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com. dog